Heavenly Father, I pray that today you would speak through my mouth, speak through my heart. Lord, I know we're busy during this time, but I've come with a word today that I believe has the power to change people's lives if they can just grab a hold of it. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do your work during this time, that we may leave this place changed with a new perspective about what Christmas really is all about. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. The title of my message today is, What Does Jesus Want for Christmas? You know, this is the time of year where families begin to make preparations to celebrate Christmas. And we all get excited about a lot of different things, a little more time off work, Christmas trees, beautiful lights, time with family, presents, gifts, good food. Angel makes the most amazing cinnamon rolls. She has to make the dough the night before it rises up. Then she puts cinnamon and butter and butter and butter and butter. My dad always has one dozen of those every year. He loves them so much. But really, the reason for the season is supposed to be the birth of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's his birthday. Unfortunately, Jesus doesn't get a whole lot for his birthday these days. How would you like to go to a party that your friends threw for you and you watched everyone exchanging gifts with one another except for you, the birthday boy or the birthday girl? Well, that's what Christmas has become, a day that's supposed to be used to celebrate the birth of Christ, but instead Jesus just winds up watching everybody else get blessed. Now, there's nothing wrong with giving gifts during this season, but the focus is supposed to be Christ's birthday. And I think if we just pause for a moment today and reflected on the magnitude, the sheer magnitude of what Christ did for us 2,000 years ago, we'd all be more prone to asking, hey, Jesus, what do you want for your birthday? Now, the significance of Christ's birth goes way beyond human explanation We call this event the incarnation, which means in the flesh, God in the flesh. In one of the most unexplainable events in human history, God decided, catch this, he decided to leave eternity and enter history in a way that you and I could understand. You see, God knew that we human beings could never comprehend an omnipotent, omniscient, all-powerful spirit. How can we who are finite comprehend the infinite? How can we who are limited by time and space comprehend an eternal, limitless being? So this is what God did. He chose to put himself on a shelf that we could reach by being born as a little baby because everybody understands a little baby. So that in Jesus Christ was total God and total man wrapped up in one person. He was total God. That's why his father was the Holy Spirit. Yet he was total man. That's why the Holy Spirit had to fertilize a human egg. So that developing in the womb of Mary was all God and and all man wrapped up in one person. This is mind-boggling when you think about it. When, when Mary gave birth to Jesus in that stable, the Jesus she gave birth to created her mother, which gave birth to her. 
I mean, it's amazing when you think about it. On one hand, he was a baby. On the other hand, he was the eternal, all-powerful, almighty God. John put it like this in John 1.14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Listen, God chose to enter time and space because he loves us in a way that we could relate to him. So let me come at this from a different direction. You've heard the saying that dog is man's best friend. How many of you have dogs out there? You, we love our dogs. I mean, I have two dogs. I never had boys of my own, so I had to go out and buy two boy dogs. Their names are Sherlock and Watson. Watson and Sherlock. Watson's our great Dane, and Sherlock rules the roost. He scares that great Dane to death. Okay? So I want you to imagine with me for a moment that Sherlock and, Sherlock and Watson were in tremendous distress. And imagine that our dog's distress represented the distress of every dog on planet Earth. They're just walking around bow-wowing all the time. They are in great distress. And I want you to imagine that I had the cure for every dog, and I wanted to do something about all these distressed, messed up, bow-wowing dogs. But the only way I could do that is to become a dog myself so that I could communicate with them, so they could understand me, so that I might identify with them. And so one day I go to Angel and say, Angel, look, all these dogs across the planet are so messed up and and I have the cure. I have the remedy. But the only way for me to apply the cure is to leave fellowship with you, to leave the splendor of our home, to leave the intimacy that I enjoy with you in order to become a dog so I might communicate with all these dogs about how they can be saved and delivered and set free from their distress. What do you think Angel would say to me? She'd say, oh, that's sweet. Go ahead and do that. No, she wouldn't say that, even though she loves dogs. What she would say is, you know, you can't leave me. You can't leave what we have. Friends, listen to me. The Bible tells us that all Jesus had ever known for all of eternity past is intimacy with his father. Perfect intimacy. All he had ever known for all of eternity past was being worshipped and praised by billions of angels who have been on their knees crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he willingly vacated that divine position in order to come to this earth as a little baby and grow up in a stick hut, crawl around on dirty floors. And dwell among broken, sinful, fallen people so that he might identify with us. So that he might show us what the Father is really like. So that he might ultimately go to a cross and and die as a sin sacrifice so that we might be freed up from our sin. The distress of our mess, the distress of our sin. How many are grateful for what God did for us through his son, Jesus Christ? Romans 5, 8 tells us God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, friends, look this way. That's the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is God doing something for us that we can never repay, that we can never return. But now let me ask you a question. 
How many of you would agree that in America today, Christmas has become something different than that? Isn't that true? If you go to a mall today, you'd be hard pressed to find a nativity scene at any mall. Oh, you'd find the Grinch's lair. You'd find Santa's workshop. And when you buy a gift at a store, retailers are instructed not to say, Merry Christmas. What do they say? Happy holidays. You all know it. Unless you say Merry Christmas, then they'll respond by saying Merry Christmas. You see, in America today, we have done everything we possibly can to take the Christ out of Christmas. Now, how has this happened? Why has this happened? Well, let me give you a little context to how Christmas began. This will take 90 seconds. Christmas began in the 4th century A.D. Now, before the 4th century, Christians were greatly persecuted in Rome. How many of you have seen the Gladiator movie? That, that was commonplace in Rome, persecuting Christians. However, in the 4th century, Constantine became the emperor of Rome, and he legalized Christianity. He said, Christianity isn't bad, it's a good thing. Laws like, don't steal, don't kill, you know, honor your parents, these are really good things. In fact, Christianity would be great for my empire. So in 313 AD, Constantine signed the Edict of Milan, and Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. Now, this began the development of the Catholic Church, which is not like the Catholic Church that we know today. The word Catholic actually means universal. So all that was Christian in that day was known as Catholic because the Protestant Church had not been developed yet. So in the eastern part of Rome, a mass was held one time a year on December 25th. It was called the Christ Mass. Would you say those two words with me? Christ Mass. One more time. Christ Mass. And over time, they shortened it and it became known as Christmas. And the Christ Mass became the time when people celebrated the wonderful birth of our Lord and Savior. But now here's where things went sideways. Since Christianity had become the official religion of the Roman Empire, if you were a pagan, you worship false gods, or you didn't believe in God, but you still wanted to be, you know, involved in Roman culture, you needed to participate in the Christ Mass. And so what many pagans did was they began to participate in the Christ Mass and they began to pollute the Christ Mass by bringing their in, in their own pagan rituals in order to participate in the Christ Mass by worshiping their own God. Okay, one of the things they brought to the Christ Mass was trees. You'll never guess what they called them. Christmas trees. Uh, Christmas trees, I'm sorry to inform you, have absolutely nothing to do with the birth of Jesus Christ. Christmas trees were brought into the Christ Mass by pagan people to worship their gods, and they begin to bring in different color trees, like like red trees and white trees and green trees, okay? But that's not all. Uh, the pagans also begin to bring their trinkets in. They bring jewelry and ornaments to the Christ mass in order to pay homage to their God. So guess what? All the lights and trinkets and bulbs that we, you and I have on our trees is a mixture of the Christ mass and paganism. It was also a time of commercialism. 
So all the buying and selling of gifts we see today really has nothing to do with the birth of Jesus Christ. That was all brought in by paganism. And listen, I am not the Grinch who stole Christmas, okay? I want you to know that up front. I have two Christmas trees in my house, and we have lights in our house. There's nothing wrong with having a tree. There's nothing wrong with having beautiful lights and exchanging gifts with one another. I think it's a wonderful way to celebrate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to remember the ultimate gift of Christmas. But what I am saying is this. Let's make sure we're celebrating the right things. Because if all Christmas is to you is lights and presents and good food and family and trees, that's not Christ's mass. That's your mass. Well, Luke, I'm going to celebrate Christmas this year by buying me a brand new iPhone. I've saved all my money. I say, go for it, man. Knock yourself out. Enjoy it. But don't call it Christmas. Call it you mass or me mass. You're using Christ's birthday to buy yourself a present. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Okay? But let's call it what it is. Well, I'm going to celebrate Christmas this year by buying my wife a great present. I got her a brand new tool set. It's going to be great. I say, buy the present. Buy the Lexus for the wife. Come on, wives. Amen. But don't call it Christmas. Call it wifemas. Because you're, you're using the birthday of Jesus Christ to celebrate, to give somebody else a gift. And friends, what has happened from the fourth century until this day is we have been mixing up the difference between Christ mass and we mass. Now, let me ask you a question. I mean, don't, don't you think that since it, I mean, either this stuff is real or it's not. Either we believe in this stuff or we don't. Since this really is the birthday of Jesus Christ, don't you think we ought to celebrate his birthday the way he wants us to celebrate it? I mean, don't you think we ought to celebrate Christmas, the birthday of Jesus, in a way that's meaningful to him? Husbands, listen, if you forgot your wife's birthday, you'd be in the doghouse. Because it's a reflection of how much you care for her, of how much she is on your mind. And the same thing applies when it comes to Jesus' birthday. Let's do Jesus' birthday his way. Can I get an amen on that? All right? So, if you want to really make someone happy on their birthday, you must do one of two things. You must ask them, point blank, what would you like for your birthday? Or secondly, you got to know them so well that you don't have to ask them what they want because you already know what they want. So, what does Jesus want for Christmas? Well, he told us in Matthew chapter 25. Let me read it to you. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence. This is at the judgment. And he will separate the people as shepherd, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come. You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, 
Jesus speaking, and you fed me. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. And I was naked, and you gave me clothing. And I was sick, and you cared for me. And I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when do we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When do we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, here it is. I tell you the truth. When you did it to the least of one of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it unto me. Here is what Jesus wants for Christmas. Jesus is hungry and he'd like something to eat. Jesus is thirsty and he'd love something to drink. Jesus is naked. He needs some new clothing. Jesus is lonely. He needs a friend. And you may say, wait a minute, Luke, I don't see a hungry, thirsty, lonely, naked Jesus. Well, he just said it. When you do it to the least among them, you're doing it unto me. What does Jesus want for Christmas? He wants you to touch a life. He wants you to mend a heart. He wants you to meet the need of another person who can do absolutely nothing for you in return. And Jesus says, when you do that, I will give you credit in heaven as though you're doing it unto me. Do you know what Jesus is saying in this passage? If you're a serious Christian, you you, want to hear this. Christians, you are the continuation of the incarnation. You are the continuation of the incarnation. God became flesh that he might minister to us. And now God desires to work through your flesh to minister to someone who can do absolutely nothing for you in return. Jesus is saying, I don't want you to confuse Christmas with Xmas. I mean, if you want to meet each other's needs, that's just fine. That's wonderful. But call it what it is. Call it me mass or wife mass or child mass. But if you're going to celebrate my birthday my way on my terms, Jesus says, then some of your time, talents, and treasures must be shared with those around you who can do absolutely nothing for you in return. What I'm saying today, friends, is this. Let's get away from the secular version of Christmas. Let's stop letting the secularists define our holidays. When Easter rolls around, we're going to see the same thing. The the Easter bunny is going to hop right into Easter, right? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, you know, you know, having fun with the Easter bunny. I'm not a Grinch or, or, or doing Easter egg hunts. All those things are, are, are a good time. We can use them to celebrate the moment, but let's call them a good time and don't call them Easter. And let's not call it Christmas until we do it Christ's way because Christmas is Jesus's birthday and what he wants to know from you is what are you getting me for my birthday and unless some of your time talents and treasures have been taken out 
of your life to touch someone who can do nothing for you. I'll say it again. You have not yet given Jesus his birthday gift. What am I saying? I'm saying go ahead and buy the tree. Go ahead and listen to the great Christmas music. Go ahead and purchase gifts and exchange gifts and eat good food and enjoy the holiday. But let's call those things what they are. Tell your kids we are using the birthday of Jesus Christ to bless one another with gifts as a reminder of the greatest gift that's ever been given to us. But in the same breath, then say, but kids, here's what we're doing for Jesus. Here's what we're doing for others to bless them because that's a gift to Jesus. And do something for someone who cannot reciprocate. You know, we have those angel trees out here in the lobby. Those angel trees are for people. There's been thousands and thousands of volunteers who've worked this production every night of the week. Some of these volunteers right now have been laid off work. And they can't provide any Christmas for the families. And so the, those denominations on that angel tree... When you send those in, you're, you're caring for a family that you'll never meet. You're doing something for someone else who cannot reciprocate. You're giving Jesus a birthday present when you do that. Because when you do it to the least among them, you're doing it to Jesus. That's what he said. This past week, We've already begun our Native American ministry here at Dream City Church. This past week, we passed out 50 beautiful Christmas trees. I think we have pictures up here. Christmas trees to people on the reservation providing Christmas for them. Also, through our partnership with Joyce Meyer this week, we had a dental clinic on the reservation helping people with their teeth. And as we're doing this, what are we doing? We're giving Jesus a birthday present. Because he said, when you do it to the least among them, you're doing it unto me. I'm crediting your account in heaven as though you're doing it for me. I'd like for Brian Steele to come forward right now. Where's, do you appreciate Brian Steele at our Dream Center? Every year, this church, through our kingdom builders, gives hundreds of thousands of dollars to uh, the Dream Center to support the ministry and this is the final payment today on uh, our commitment to you. It's $50,000 from these people of the church to help people who are in need. And I want to tell you, this comes from the Kingdom Builders Fund. You Kingdom Builders out there who are working so hard and giving so generously, you're giving a gift to Jesus at this Christmas time. What does this mean to you guys, Brian? I think... Um a 13-year-old that we just flew all the way across the United States to get her into our trafficking shelter last, last week. She's being served because of this. Uh, 18-year-old that we just brought in a couple days ago that has two little kids out of a terrible domestic violence situation. She's benefiting from this. And somebody probably sitting in the audience out there now down at the Dream Center, one month sober, they'll celebrate this Christmas. That's what this means to us. Thank you. Our team is coming right now to play some music behind my final words. But I read this week a rewrite of the Christmas story that I think really kind of identifies what Christmas has become to many people. 
This is a rewriting of the Christmas story in Luke chapter one. And there were in that same country children keeping watch over their stockings by the fireplace. And lo, Santa Claus came upon them and they were so afraid. And Santa said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people who can afford them. For unto you will be given a great feast of turkey, dressing, cakes, and pies. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find presents wrapped in bright paper, lying beneath a Christmas tree, adorned with tinsel-colored balls and lights. And suddenly there will be with you a multitude of relatives and friends praising you, saying, thank you so much. It's just what I wanted. And it shall come to pass as the friends and relatives have gone away into their homes. The parents shall say to one another, thank God they're gone. (laughs) What a mess we have to clean up and I'm so tired. Let's go to bed and clean it up in the morning. Thank God God Christmas only comes once a year and they will go with haste to their cold bed and find their desired rest. Let's be honest. For many people, that's the experience of Christmas. And, and, And that's okay. It's okay. But that's not Christ mass. Christmas is different. It's when you and I touch the life of someone who cannot pay us back. And friends, listen, the more you do that in the next seven days, the more you will experience God this Christmas. How many of you want to get this Christmas right? Raise your hand real high. How many of you really want to experience God this Christmas? God says, the way you experience me is by touching a life. And if you don't touch a life who can't repay you, you're not experiencing me, God says. Until we learn to touch those who have been rejected and forgotten, we will never truly understand the heart of God for us. Because that's what... God did for us. He touched your life. He touched my life. I was the one without spiritual clothes. I was the one without spiritual food. I was the one without spiritual gifts. I was the one locked in a spiritual prison of sin. I was the one that was a spiritual stranger to God. Yet God entered my time and my space. He entered my life to meet my greatest need, to deliver me from my sin, to dress me and robe me in his righteousness to give me spiritual gifts and spiritual food to eat. And God says, my mass, Luke, is when you do to others what I did for you. For I touched your life in your greatest time of need. And friends, what this means is we gotta be grateful people. How many are grateful for what God has done for you in your life, how he's delivered you, how he's set you free in life? Listen, there's nothing wrong with being blessed, but we are never to be so blessed that we forget to reach out and touch someone that cannot bless us. Ever seen an ungrateful kid at Christmas? (laughs) They make their Christmas list, 10 items, they get nine and they complain about not getting the one, and they pout all day long. Well, sometimes God's children can be that way. 
We may not get everything we want in life, but we got a lot more than we deserve. We've got the presence of Almighty God living in us. We got a home in heaven waiting for us. We've been blessed, 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 blessed. The close of this last story. Told you we got early. Of course, we're not closed yet. So, <laughs> when I had my accident where the boulder rolled over me and broke my hip and broke my femur, broke my arm, three of my ribs, they helicoptered me to uh, Scottsdale Airport, uh, Scottsdale Hospital, and they wheeled me into the emergency room. My new book is coming out in just about 30 days. You, you can read all about this, all the details. And um, when they wheeled me in, I was licking my wounds. I was thinking, I'll never be the same. I'll never be able to play golf or hike or play, play basketball, the things I really enjoy doing. And I'm sitting there licking my wounds, and I really was in bad shape. <laughs> But just then, they rolled in another cart of a young man, maybe 20 years old, who was riding his motorcycle. He got hit by a semi. Every bone in his body virtually was broken. He was unconscious when they rolled him in. And the doctors began to work on him and, and revive him and bring life back into his body. And the moment he came to, he started cursing and, and swearing, get this stuff off of me, just swearing and cursing at these doctors and nurses. And the nurse who was helping me said, if that young man only knew what the doctors and nurses did for him, he wouldn't be cursing and swearing. He'd be saying thank you because they brought life back into his body. They gave him life when he was about to die. He'd be grateful. I know sometimes during this time we can ask God, why don't I have this and why don't I have that? And God says, look, if you only knew what I've done for you, if you only knew what it cost me to send my son to this earth, if you only knew what it cost me to send my son, think about your son, people. Think about your daughter dying on a cross. He says, if you only knew then you wouldn't complain and moan about things. You'd be grateful. If you had two bowls of rice, you'd give one bowl of rice to your neighbor who has none. Friends, nothing proves our gratitude to God more than blessing somebody who has less than us because it reminds us of how good God has been to us. When I was living in Ohio, our church wasn't this large, but our church was run by a boiler system. Anybody know what a boiler system is? Those from the Midwest. There is, in, in the boiler room, there's a big reservoir, the boiler system. And it would heat up water in the boiler and it would pump water through pipes that ran throughout the whole building. And then in each room, there would be some kind of a regulator or radiator that would, that would turn the steam into hot air and push it through the rooms. Okay? In the boiler room... In the boiler system, there was a little gauge. And on that gauge, it told you how full of water the boiler was. If the gauge was half full, the boiler was half full of water. If the gauge said it was full, the boiler was full of water. So the boiler told you how much power was in the machine. You could tell by the gauge. You could tell how much was working in the system. 
Friends, if you wanna gauge how much of God is working in you, check your level of love for people who cannot pay you back. If you got a low level of love for people who have less than you, then you got a low level of God operating in your life. If you have a high level of love for people who can do nothing for you in return, you got a high level of God operating in your life. If you never have time to touch the needs of other people, if you never have time to reach out and make a difference, it just means that the love of God has not been manifest in your heart. And that could change today by asking the, the God of love to change your heart today. And I hope you'll do that because I want every single one of you to really experience the Christ in Christmas this year. Please don't miss the Christ in Christmas. Amen? Let's all stand to our feet. Would you look right this way as we wrap this up today? I wonder how many of us in this place, now listen carefully, we really love the Lord and we're doing our best to live for Him and we're living in God's grace and power, but Maybe you would say, Luke, this message really impacted my life because I think I'm kind of a little bit guilty of getting wrapped up in what the world's made Christmas. And I needed to be reminded of what Christmas really is all about. Would you raise your hand all across this place? I just wanna pray for you. Father, you see the hands of people in this place today. This is one of the most glorious seasons of the year and we don't wanna miss the heart of it. We don't wanna miss the Christ in Christmas. So Father, I pray that during this next week that we would look for opportunities. When we go to a restaurant in a few minutes, look for opportunities. As we walk out and see those angel trees, look for opportunities to make a difference in someone else's life. And Father, I pray that this year will be the most glorious year in the lives of our families because we're doing Christmas your way. We're touching hearts. We're making a difference in others. And while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you'll say, Pastor Luke, I think that maybe my issue is that my heart has not been regenerated. My heart has not been changed by the love of God. And I don't want to leave here today until my heart has really been changed by God. Friends, until an outside source comes in to the inside to change your, your heart, things will never change. And there's only one person who can do that. Government can't do it. Education can't do it. Only God can change a heart. And I know he would love to do that work in your heart today. So while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you'll say, Pastor Luke, I see that need in my life. I'm just living like everybody else but I really wanna know God. I wanna know the Christ of Christmas. If that's you, all across this place, would you say these words after me? Just say, Heavenly Father, today I give you my heart. What could I possibly give to you that you don't already have? If I gave you all my money, I wouldn't make you any richer. If I gave you all my wisdom, 
I wouldn't make you wiser. But you said that you want my heart. And so I give it to you today. I give you my heart. Take my life. Mold it and shape it into the image of your son, Jesus. Today, I become a follower of Jesus. And I thank you for changing my life, for changing my heart. I am not the same person. I've been bought with a price. I've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to celebrate this Christmas because I know the Christ of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Let's put our hands together and rejoice today for what God has done.